Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Please open up to 1 Samuel chapter 2. Father, we do thank you once again for your Word. We thank you for allowing us to be here Thank you for your Holy Spirit. I pray that you help us to understand, to remember, and then to apply your word to our lives. And Lord, we'll need your help to apply your word. So help us, Lord, stir our hearts for the things that are of you so that we'll desire what you'll have us to desire. And Lord, those of us who are having a hard time surrendering, we pray that you'll help us, Lord, by your grace to surrender whatever it is we need to surrender to you and allow you to have your way, Lord. So I pray, Father, that I would decrease and you increase. I pray for a fresh filling of your spirit and that, Lord, your word will accomplish its purpose tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now remember the main theme of our study in the book of 1 Samuel is reaching your full potential in Christ. And so that's the main message we want to take from this study in this book. And so each lesson that that we're going to cover, each lesson that I'll have the opportunity to teach from the book of 1 Samuel should help us to reach that point, to reach that point of reaching our full potential in Jesus Christ. But of course, it's not just the study. It's not just information. We're going to need the help of the Holy Spirit. And so we'll first need to be in Christ. We'll first need to be a child of God, which happens when we repent and we put our faith in Christ. And then the Holy Spirit indwells us. He molds us from the inside out to help us to be more like Jesus to help us to be all that he wants us to be and to do all that he wants us to do. And so each of these lessons is going to help us to reach our full potential in him. And tonight, we're going to focus on the topic of honoring God. And so we want to start with 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 18. And it says, but Samuel ministered before the Lord even as a child wearing a linen ephod, which was a holy vest, which was normally worn by the priest, the Levite priests. Now, remember in the previous study, Hophni and Phinehas were serving themselves. These were the two sons of Eli who were serving as priests. They were serving themselves. They were greedy. They were abusing the people, but as opposed to Hophni and Phinehas, Samuel was different. Because while they served themselves, Samuel ministered to the Lord, as it tells us in verse 18. And it just goes to show that just because other people are going astray and other people are being greedy and serving themselves and other people are making the wrong thing to do look like it's a right thing to do, It doesn't mean we have to follow them. 
We don't have to follow their example. We can be like Samuel and keep ministering before the Lord or keep serving the Lord. Keep obeying the Lord in spite of what anybody else is doing, no matter what their position of influence may be. But moreover, in verse 19, his mother used to make him a little robe. Remember, his mom's name is Hannah. And she would bring it to him year by year when she came up to Shiloh with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli, who was the high priest during that time, would bless Elkanah and his wife Hannah and say, The Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan that was given to the Lord. Then they would go to their own home. And the Lord visited, or he paid attention to Hannah, so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And meanwhile, it says the child Samuel grew before the Lord. And so Hannah and Elkanah were blessed with three more sons and two more daughters or two daughters. And so Hannah, this woman who was barren at one point, she went from zero children to six children if you count Samuel. But the scriptures tell us that she only dedicated one to the service of the Lord for his entire life. And that one, of course, being Samuel. And so she gave this child that she prayed so hard for. Lord, don't forget me. Lord, if you would remember me and bless me with the male child, then I will dedicate him to you for his entire life. And I won't even cut his hair. I would give this Nazarite vow. Won't even cut his hair, and that long hair again represents his lifelong commitment to the Lord. And so she kept her vow to the Lord. And she loaned or lent or gave Samuel as a gift to God for his entire life that, that he would serve the Lord. And so that was a big sacrifice. She prayed so hard for him. And although that was a big sacrifice, you can see in this study tonight that even with her big sacrifice of giving her only son to the Lord for lifelong service, that she still could not outgive God because the Lord would bless her with three more sons and then two daughters on top of that. And the same is true for us. We'll never outgive God. We'll never outdo God. Although we may think that the sacrifice is too much, that the sacrifice is too heavy, that the sacrifice is too costly. We'll never outgive God. Because God has unlimited resources. Therefore, God will never be indebted to us. He'll never be indebted to anyone. And so some of us may say, Lord, I've been serving you for two years. I've served you for six years. Some may say, Lord, I served you for 25 years. And although we may give them those few years of our lives, God would not be outgiven. Because we give them those few years, but God in return gives us, through Jesus Christ, eternal life. Now Eli, it says in verse 22, was very old and 
It says that he heard everything his sons did to all Israel and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door. They assembled, in other words, at the entrance of the tabernacle of meeting, this place of worship in Shiloh. And so Eli said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil doings from all the people. No, my sons, for it is not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. And he says in verse 25, if one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. And so we see that Eli scolded his sons because of what they were doing. They were abusing the people and abusing the the offerings, the sacrifices that belonged to the Lord. They were being greedy. They were showing a, a lack of respect for God and the people in return. But besides dealing wickedly in regard to those sacrifices, we find out here that they were also having sex with the women. And these women, uh, it would appear, were volunteers that assisted the priests and the Levites at the tabernacle of meeting. Or it was possible that these women just came to worship at the tabernacle. But either way, they were having sex with these women. They were committing adultery with these women because these guys were married on top of that. But we see in verse 25 that Eli said, if one man sins against another, God will judge him. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. And I just want to point out that that all sin, by the way, is against the Lord. Even when we sin directly against people, when we directly harm people, it is still against the Lord. And this is something King David will come to understand. Because as we look at verse 4 in Psalm 51, what you're looking at is a piece from the Psalm of David when, when Nathan the prophet went to him and pointed out his sin. Because remember, he committed adultery with Bathsheba and he got her pregnant. And then to cover up his sin, he had Uriah, her husband, killed. She was pregnant. And so Nathan the prophet came to King David with the parable and and David thought about someone else. He thought it was about someone else and he wanted to punish that person severely. And then Nathan the prophet told him, no, David, this is about you. And David became convicted and he repented. And so King David is aware of what I shared, that even though we sin directly against people, we may directly harm people. All sin is really against the Lord because he says here in Psalm 51, 4, against you, you only speaking to God, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. And also, while scolding his sons, Eli asked a question. He says, but if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede 
for him. And praise God, this is where Jesus comes into play. Because in the scriptures, we see that Jesus stands in the gap for us. Because we can't build a bridge on our own. We can't work our way into heaven. We can't work for our salvation. Scripture says all have sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. And Romans chapter 6 verse 23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. So how can we fix that? Well, we need someone to stand in the gap for us. And once again, Jesus does that for us. He intercedes for us, especially for his people. And the reason Jesus is able to be successful in this role as intercessor or advocate, as you see in 1 John 2, 1, is because he is the one who died to pay the penalty for our sins. He paid the penalty for our sins to, to redeem us, to set us free from slavery to sin, to set us free from the penalty of it so we don't have to be separated from God for eternity, which will be hell. And because of that work, because his blood is sufficient, fellowship can be restored for the believer who sinned and confessed. So even if we sin as believers, the scriptures clearly tell, tell us in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then you turn the page, you get to the next chapter in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, and you find out that, that Jesus Christ is our advocate. His blood stands in our defense. And as our advocate, as one who pleads our calls, he also turns back those accusations from the enemy, from the devil, who's called the accuser of the brethren, the accuser of the Christians. In other words, Jesus stands in our defense. We have someone who stands in the gap for us. See, Hophni and Phinehas, they did not listen to their father, the scriptures tell us. And it would appear that the Lord may have hardened their hearts. And if he hardened their hearts, he did it in judgment. Why? Because they were so out there with, with their sins. And so if people keep rejecting God, keep rejecting God, keep ignoring God, and you harden your heart against God so much. Be careful because God may just give you your way, but it will be giving you your way in judgment. Just like what he did to Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his heart. And so God say, okay, you want to harden your heart? I'm going to strengthen you in your position if that's what you want. And God does the same thing. And you read about that in Romans chapter 1. How he turns people over to a reprobate mind or a debased or a corrupt mind. Those who continue to reject him. And then these people, they'll run out and they'll be able to do what they want to do. And they think that, oh, God may think it's okay. I haven't been struck down by lightning and I'm living the way I want to live. That's not a good sign. It could be that you're under the judgment of God. If you live in any way you want to, no conviction at all. Be careful. 
And so the Lord in judgment wanted to kill them, wanted to take them out early. And so they didn't listen to their father. And in verse 26, the child Samuel grew in stature. He grew physically and he grew in favor both with the Lord and men. And so even once again in the midst of these uh, wicked leaders and at a time when everyone was doing right in their own sight. Remember what it said in Judges chapter 21 verse 25 that there was no king in these days, in the days of the judges. And so everybody was doing what they thought was right in their own sight. So even during the midst of this time, Samuel, he was growing. Oh, he was growing physically and he was growing in favor with the Lord and men. And even in the midst of this dark time in our society, God is still growing people up. Oh, there are some people right here, some youngsters in this church right now, and many of them are at camp and and they're just growing in the Lord. They may be young in age, but God is growing them up. So God still has a faithful remnant that is growing up even in the midst of this dark time. Oh, God is raising some people up to be a powerful tool in his hand, to be a tool in the hand of a mighty God. Then a man of God came to Eli. This man, he he wasn't even named in the scriptures, but he came to Eli and he said to Eli, thus says the Lord, did I not clearly reveal myself to the house or to the family of your father? When they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house. And here he's speaking of um, Aaron. Aaron, the brother of Moses. Remember, Aaron was the first high priest in Israel. In verse 28, the man of God continues on with the word from the Lord to Eli. And he says, did I not choose him? Did I not choose Aaron out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priests? To offer Upon my altar to burn incense. Remember, there was that altar of incense within that tabernacle. And to wear an ephod or to wear a holy vest before me. And did I not give to the house, to to the family of your father, of Aaron, all the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire? Remember, God set aside a portion for the priests from the offerings, for some of the offerings, not the burnt offering because the burnt offering was totally burnt and it represents total commitment to God. But like from the peace offerings, for example, you know, the, the priests will get a portion of that. And so that's what that's referring to in the second part of verse 28. And so here in this verse, we see this reference being made to Aaron and his descendants And remember, they were from the tribe of Levi, chosen to be priests. Then verse 29, the man of God continues, and he's speaking the word of the Lord. And and he asks a question. He asks, why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling place? And honor your sons more than me to make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people. Therefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father Aaron would walk in priestly service before me forever. But now the Lord says, 
far be it from me. That's not going to happen now. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me, who look down on me, who disrespect me, shall be lightly esteemed or they'll be insignificant and contemptible or, or, or disgraced. And behold, in verse 31, the days are coming that I will cut off your arm. And the arm here is a symbol of strength. And he also cut off the arm of your father's house. In other words, he'll cut off the strength of, of your descendants or your ancestral family. So that there will not be an old man in your house, Eli, from your descendants. And so this man of God spoke God's words of judgment against Eli's lineage because Eli did not fully address his son's sins. He didn't fully address the sins of Hophni and Phinehas. Oh yeah, he may have said something, a mild rebuke through his words, but beyond his words, he didn't do anything. Because as the high priest, he was their boss at the same time. And so he could have removed them from service, but he didn't do it. But notice in, in verse 29, the man of God asks a question on behalf of God. Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering? Well, we don't read about Eli doing that specifically, but Eli is lumped in with his sons of not respecting God's offering and sacrifice because he didn't do anything significant about what his sons were doing when they disrespected God's offering and sacrifice. And so Eli really shared in their sins in an indirect way. And these men, by the way, they were getting fat, the scriptures tell us, off the best of all the offerings made to God. They would snatch the meat. They'll send their servants to snatch the meat while it was still boiling. And before the people even had a chance to burn the fat to the Lord, they were supposed to give the Lord his portion first. But it says that they took the best. Of all the offerings made to God. And some people unfortunately are doing that today. And some people are actually in leadership. And, and so-called preachers and so forth. And they're making themselves fat. Off of what belongs to God. Some people are making themselves fat off of the offering. The, the finances that really belong to God. Well, some people are getting fat off of the glory or the credit that belongs to God. Will God really work something out? God is the one who is working the miracle or that healing. Or God is the one who is really saving souls. But some people are getting the credit. They're, they're putting the credit in, in, in their own lives. They're taking the credit for themselves, thinking that they're the ones who are saving people, thinking that they're the ones who are healing people, thinking they're the ones who can speak anything into existence apart from the will of God. Saying, God, hey, you removed from the throne. I put myself on the throne and I say what's going to be. And then they take credit for God's word, getting fat off of the glory that really belongs to God. And so, yes, it is still going on today. Different form, but it's still going on. And we see that there are a couple of results uh, of the judgments against uh, Eli's lineage or his branch from the tribe of Levi. 
you know, one of the results of the judgment against Eli's descendants is that the Lord was going to cut off his line from having a long life. In other words, there won't be any who would reach old age. And according to 1 Chronicles 24, verses 1 through 5, during the time of David when he was king, the scriptures say that the descendants of Eliezer outnumbered those of Ithamar at least two to one. And so Eli's family did indeed begin to slowly die out because Eli was a descendant of Aaron's son, Ithamar. And so, yeah, again, Aaron was a descendant of Levi and Ithamar was one of Aaron's son and Eli was a descendant of Ithamar. But once again, in 1 Chronicles 24, verses 1 through 5, you saw that another son of Aaron, his descendants were more than Ithamar's. And so you saw Eli's descendants begin to dwindle, just like the word of the Lord said. But another result is that the descendants in Eli's family will no longer serve as God's priests. And so we see their role. Their numbers in the role begin, in this role begin to dwindle. And so God would abandon Ithamar's line. And he would turn to the sons of Eliezer, who's Aaron's third son, and was also the successor in the high priesthood. Because if you remember, Moses and Aaron, they went up to Mount Hor, H-O-R, where, where Aaron would die. And Eliezer took over the mantle, so to speak, of that high priest role. And so we're going to see that role restored back to Eliezer if you continue reading the scriptures and taken away from Ithamar. Because that's, that's where Eli's lineage would come from. And so God did not remove the priesthood from the line of Aaron, but he did but he did remove it from the line of Eli. And you will see an enemy in verse 32. You'll see trouble, in other words, in my dwelling place. Despite all the good which God does for Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. And so Eli is going to see distress in the place of worship. And there are other versions that, that read differently. For example, in the NLT, it says, you will watch with envy as I pour out prosperity on the people of Israel, but no members of your family will ever live out their days. And the ESV reads, then in distress, you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. But one thing for sure, whatever the intended meaning is, one thing that will happen is that the Ark of the Covenant will be captured by the Philistines. And the Ark of the Covenant, of course, was not to be worshipped, but it was a representation of the presence of God amongst the people. But it's going to be captured at one point, and we're going to read that, Lord willing, in chapter 4 of Samuel, of 1 Samuel. But... Any of your men, in verse 33, whom I do not cut off from my altar shall consume your eyes and grieve your heart. And all the descendants of your house shall die in the flower of their age or in the prime of life. And so the men in Eli's lineage who are or will be allowed to serve at God's altar, they will not bring them joy. 
He's going to be weeping over them. His soul will grieve over them. They're going to be bring shame to him. And the man of God shares God's word in verse 34. He says, now this shall be a sign to you, Eli, that will come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. He says, in one day they shall die, both of them. And so he's saying here that just to prove to you that all these judgments against your descendants is true. There's going to be a sign that will be more immediate. And that more immediate sign will be the death of Hophni and Phinehas, your two sons, in one day. They're going to die in the same day. And in verse 35, he continues, Then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. He says, I will build him a sure house. In other words, I'll I'll build him an enduring family or dynasty, and he shall walk before my anointed or my appointed king forever. And it shall come to pass that everyone who was left in your house, Eli, will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread. And they'll say, please put me in one of the priestly positions that I may eat a piece of bread. Now, this faithful priest could be a reference to Samuel because he would go on to serve as a godly priest. But most scholars, and and I agree with this, consider this prophecy to be a reference to Zadok. See, Zadok was a priest during the reign of King David. And he became a high priest under King Solomon. And both Zadok and somebody else named Abiathar, they were priests. Both of them were priests when David was king. But King Solomon, King David's son, appointed Zadok to serve as high priest. And he removed Abiathar because Abiathar, and the words Lord was being fulfilled, Abiathar was one of Eli's descendants. And so he removed him. Solomon removed him from the high priesthood. And once again, he gave the high priesthood to Zadok. And you can read here in 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 26 and 27, and see what I'm talking about. And it says, And to Abiathar, the priest, the king, that is King Solomon, said, Go to Anathoth to your own fields. For you are deserving of death. Now remember, Abiathar is a descendant of Eli. He said, Solomon says, you are deserving of death. He was deserving of death because Abiathar betrayed Solomon's father, King David. But Solomon tells Abiathar, but I will not put you to death at this time because you carried the ark of the Lord of the Lord God before my father David, and because you were afflicted every time my father was afflicted. And so Solomon removed Abiathar, one of Eli's descendant, from being priest to the Lord, that he might fulfill, check this out, that he might fulfill the word of the Lord, which he spoke concerning the house of Eli at Shiloh. God always fulfills his word. And then in 1 Kings 2, verse 35, it says, The king put Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, in his place, speaking of Joab, over the army. And it says, And the king put Zadok, the priest, in the place of Abiathar. 
And this is significant because Zadok was of the house of Eliezer, who was the third son of Aaron, which I talked about earlier. And his descendants will continue in service to God for many generations. But the ultimate, the ultimate faithful priest is Jesus Christ. He is the eternal high priest. And you can read Psalm 110 in Hebrews chapter 7. Matter of fact, just read all of Hebrews and you'll get that information about the faithful high priest, Jesus Christ. And now as part of the judgment against Eli's descendants, we see here that, that they will beg to serve in one of the priestly positions. They're going to beg for it. And they're going to beg for money and food. And so we, we see a lesson for us. Because some of us may have an opportunity to serve the Lord right now. Or we may be in some type of position of leadership where we get to serve the Lord and, and lead in Jesus' name. And maybe some of us are not grateful. And maybe some of us are misusing the position and the opportunity that God gives us through Jesus Christ to serve him and to serve people in Jesus' name. And so maybe God stops giving us those opportunities. Maybe God pulls us down because we're not representing him the right way. Or, or maybe he hasn't done that, but maybe we're just ungrateful at this moment. But, but we can learn from this prophecy here, especially this, this part that we see, I believe, in verse 36, where they're going to beg just to be in a position and, and beg for money and food that comes along with the priesthood. We're going to learn that lesson that, that, that we need to start being grateful for what the Lord allows us to do. We, we need to start being grateful for the benefits that come from the Lord. Because we're obedient to him. Because we're, we're serving in Jesus' name. No, because there may be a time we're going to wish that we may be in that position again. That we can have that opportunity to serve the Lord again. We're going to just remember, oh, I remember, Lord, how blessed I was. How, how you just came through every time, Lord. How I was just experiencing your joy and, and, and peace and, and just how I just love to sense your presence and just know you're with me. Going to come a time where you're going to miss that like some of these descendants of Eli would. How they're going to miss the benefits of the priesthood. And so... In summary, the judgment against Eli's house was fulfilled in, number one, the murder of someone named Ahimelech and all his sons except Abiathar. And then who's going to murder them? The future king Saul. And also this judgment against Eli's house was fulfilled, number two, by the removal of Abiathar from the priesthood by King Solomon. And we just read that. But also, we also talked about this. A third way this judgment against Eli's house is going to be fulfilled is because of the death of Hophni and Phinehas all in one day. And so this man of God was faithful 
in what he shared. Oh, he's not named, but he was faithful in what he shared with Eli. He shared exactly what God wanted him to share. And one thing that stood out in what the man of God shared with Eli is the fact that Eli honored his sons more than he honored God. And so the question has to be posed to each and, one, each and every one of us tonight. And the question is, are we honoring our children more than we honor God? Are we honoring other family members more than we honor God? Because Jesus says in Luke 14, 26, he says, if anyone comes after me, if anybody follows me and they, they do not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Well, well, Darrell, I thought Jesus said to love everyone. Well, he's not. He does say we should love. But here, hate means to love less. In other words, we should love Jesus supremely so much that everything else would appear to be hate. And so everybody else would have to be secondary to Jesus. Because if not, if you're honoring anybody else more than him, then you cannot be his disciple. But are we honoring our friends more than we honor God? Or how about this? Are we honoring entertainers? Are we having a, this high respect for entertainers and politicians, but we don't have that high respect or this honor for God like we should have? Or are we being an Eli, in other words? And, and how do you know? How do we know if we're honoring others more than we honor God? Well, one way to tell is that the biblical views we once had have changed in order to make others feel comfortable. But but I knew I know what the word of God says, but I knew this person growing up. And if they say they feel this way, then I have to go with their feelings to make them feel more comfortable instead of honoring God. You see, in that situation, you allow your feelings to be manipulated instead of falling back on the facts in the word of God. Oh, another way you can tell if you're honoring others more than you honor God is if you're willing to exchange your biblical views for others' views in order to avoid being ridiculed. Or to receive a favor from them. Or or if I tell them the truth about what God's word says, then they're not going to help me anymore. They're going to stop providing finances for me. Or they're going to fire me if I don't share the truth about the word of God. Or my coworkers or my classmates, they're going to ridicule me. Or I won't get invited to the parties anymore. But you also know if you're honoring others more than you honor God, if you avoid seeking out what's in the word of God, because you already know that God's view is going to contradict with your view or your peers view. And so you don't even want to go to the word of God because you don't want to have to deal with it. Why? Because you honor others. You even honor yourself more than you honor God. Or in some cases, some people, they they would rather seek to find fault with the word of God instead of finding fault with the worldview of others. 
If it's not a biblical worldview, then it's the wrong view because the biblical worldview is God's view. And then we're not going to apologize for that because God by himself is a majority. And so it could be a million or a billion people voting or saying something else is right. But if God says something is wrong, then, then it's wrong. And you want to uh, align yourself with God because in doing that, you're honoring him more than man. You're honoring him more than any other worldview. You're honoring him more than you honor yourself. You see, we honor God when we agree with God in every topic. Well, I don't care if you don't feel comfortable about it, but if God says it and you agree with him about it, you honor him. Or we honor God when we are willing to take a stand and and to have those tough conversations based on the word of God. Even though those conversations or that stand will not make us lovable to the world. But yet and still we take a stand. Yet and still we have that tough conversation because we honor God more than man. We honor God more than the Constitution. We honor God more than any politician or professor in any college or university. Or when we honor God, we show that we honor God when we take the road less traveled by, like the poet says. You see, in other words, when we walk in obedience to him, even if others are walking in opposition to the will of God, it could just be us by ourselves. But if we're walking in obedience to his word, that is honoring to God. In other words, you're not an Eli at that point. You become a Samuel. Because Samuel was still, he was still, even as a youth, as a child, he was still honoring God, even though he didn't have godly examples around him. We honor him when we are obedient to him, when we take that road that is less traveled by. Oh, and honoring God, by the way, actually begins in the heart. Honoring God I'll say that again. It actually begins in the heart because I believe it's, it's in the book of Isaiah and then Jesus repeats it. He says that, that people draw near to God with their mouths and they honor God with their lips. But he says what? But their hearts are far from me. And so honoring God, having the high respect for God actually begins in the heart. And you show me a person who's walking in obedience to the word of God. You show me a person who's aligning themselves with God with every issue that comes up. And I'll show you a person who is honoring God in their hearts. The part that man cannot see. Oh, yes, we may look silly to the world because we're not going with the flow of the world. But guess what? We're honoring God. Oh, yes, we may be saving ourselves sexually for marriage. Marriage, by the way, between one genetic male, one genetic female. We may be saving ourselves sexually for marriage. And that may be crazy to the world. That may be crazy to some entertainers. But guess what? We're honoring God. Or everybody else in our group may be getting together, getting drunk or smoking weed or getting high off some other drug. And we put the hand up like a stop sign and say, no, that's not for me. And they may call us a dork or whatever they may call us crazy or a nerd. 
But guess what? We're honoring God. You honor God more than you honor man. Maybe the only one who's being different. But that's okay. Be different for God. And maybe there's somebody who's hearing this talk about honor. Maybe online. Maybe they'll be listening to the CD or podcast later on. Or maybe there's somebody in this room tonight and they hear all this honor talk about God. And and they maybe want to get there. Want to know how to do that. What is the first step to doing that? You may be thinking, I'm not a believer. I don't remember ever repenting and putting my faith in Christ. But I want to I honor this God you're talking about. I would say to you to repent. That means have a change of mind. Turn and receive. Turn from the sin and receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. Jesus is God's perfect sacrifice who died in our place. And in receiving Jesus, what we're really receiving is God's gift to mankind. And check this out. In John 12, 26, Jesus says, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. And watch this. If anyone serves me, what does it say? Him, my father, will honor And this honor, as one Bible scholar teaches, this honor is both reward and recognition as the worship team takes the stage. This honor is both reward and recognition. And so if you want an opportunity to receive Jesus and receive honor from God as you begin to serve Jesus, You can repent and put your faith in him tonight. But one thing I see in this lesson, the last point I want to make tonight is found in 1 Samuel 2, verse 30. And what I see here is a principle that is biblical. And that is reaping what we sow. In other words, what you plant, that's what you're going to reap. You can't plant an orange seed and expect apples. You plant an orange seed, you expect an orange tree that produces oranges. So we see this principle here in 1 Samuel 2.30. We reap what we sow. And in this case, in this case, in this study, the scripture teaches that if we sow honor to God, then guess what? We'll get honor from him. Because it says here, those who honor me, I will honor. So do you want honor from the world or do you want honor from God? At this time, we're going to partake of communion. And we're going to honor God. We're going to honor God, give respect to God, and show that we remember Jesus' sacrifice as we partake of communion. And so, of course, if you're new or visiting, we have the elements at the front and at the back. 
And as you pray and as you feel moved, you'll go to the back or come to the front and you'll take the elements, take them back to your seat and and you pray or maybe you pray with your spouse before you partake of communion. But the cracker, the bread represents the body of Christ that was broken for us, that he gave to be beaten for us in our place. And of course, the juice represents the blood of Jesus that he shed for us. The scriptures tell us that the life of the flesh is in the blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. There is no forgiveness of sin. And and you have the blood of the perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ, the God man, fully God, fully man, who shed his blood for us. The eternal high priest, we talked about that tonight, who did that for us. And so we honor God. We remember God what Jesus did as we partake. And so we want to do it respectfully. We also want to use this time to examine ourselves, ask the Lord if there's any uh, sin in our lives, current sin in our lives that we haven't confessed to him. And if there's anything, confess it to him. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, Father God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you for the faithfulness that we see in you. And because you're faithful, what you say is faithful. It'll come to pass. And we thank you, Lord. We pray for such a special dosage of boldness. In today's, in today's time, Lord, that we'll be bold and that we'll stand firm upon your word, that we'll speak out when you call us to speak out. But when you tell us to be quiet, that we'll do that as well, Lord. We want to honor you and being obedient to you. And I also pray your blessings, Lord, upon the elements, the communion elements, and, and that you'll be glorified, Lord, as we partake of communion, that you bless your people that you send them home safely, give them traveling grace, bless the remainder of their week, Lord. Use them for your glory. Bless the high schoolers at camp. Bless uh, the VBS servants and children who come out next week. We love you, Lord. We praise you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. After the service, if you need prayer, we'll be up here willing and ready to pray with you. So God bless you. May God keep you, and we love you. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.